Now, if you have your Bible, you can open up to Acts chapter 26, as that's where we're going to be this morning. Now, in 2003, uh, a classic movie came out. And that movie was a Christmas movie, Elf, starring Will Ferrell. And uh, in, in the movie, there's this scene where Buddy the Elf, played by Will Ferrell, is walking down the streets of New York, and he's kind of discovering the city. And he walks past this kind of small diner, and in a glass window with a neon sign, he sees this, world's best cup of coffee. And the next scene shows um, Will Ferrell's character. He goes into the diner. He bursts through, and, and with all sincerity, tons of enthusiasm, he says, you did it. Congratulations. World's best cup of coffee. Great job, everybody. And, and he means this. Now, it, it flashes to the people that are sitting in the diner, and they're like, this is a hole in the wall. They, they know that this is not the world's best cup of coffee. It's coffee that's been bought in bulk. It's probably stale. It's probably burnt. And there's like, you actually believe this sign. Now, I, like, I found that to be one of the, the best scenes in that movie because this is what we see businesses do sometimes in, in our culture today. They make these bold claims like world's best cup of coffee, Atlantic Canada's best fish and chips, North America's best vehicle, world's best veggie burger. And, and here's the thing. This is often the opinion of a business owner or the opinion of a, a marketer. And it's not unbiased. It's like they're the ones making this claim. And wanting to attract business, we know that company marketers, they'll, they'll tote their food or their product as being the absolute best one that is out there. And it's, it's self-promotion. It's not impartial, we realize. Now, th thankfully, living in the age of the internet, we have something called Yelp and things similar to that, where it's like, okay, are you, are you really what you claim to be. And people go online and they write these reviews. And so the restaurant or website, um, they might go like, this is Halifax's best donor. But we're like, what do Haligonians say is Halifax's best donor? A company could be like, here's the best wireless headphones on the market. And they say it, but we're going, okay, but what do the Amazon reviews say about this product? And we, we, we want to know like these things. We want to know whether a company, what they're selling, lives up to the hype of what they say. Is it as good as they say? And so we want to go and ask like somebody who's experienced it, what's it really like? What is your unbiased opinion? And so we, we go to the internet, we read the reviews, we ask friends who might have experienced it, what did you think? Are these claims legitimate? Now, the reason I'm, I'm, like, I'm talking about this is because Christianity makes some pretty bold claims about itself. And we're not going to go through all these claims, but like, think of some of them. Like, that Jesus is the Son of God. He's the exclusive way of salvation. That, that's a bold claim. Or we say this, that, that God has the power to, to come into your life through his Holy Spirit, and he can transform you. He can change your life. Again, that's a pretty bold claim. Now, if you're a Christian you probably don't really struggle with those things. Like you're probably going, yeah, that, I, I, I believe these things. But put yourself in the shoes of maybe a skeptic, somebody who doesn't believe the Bible is true. And you go, those are, those are big claims. And where do you find kind of, like how do you back those claims up? And Christians, typically we would say this, well, the Bible tells us. Now, again, I, I believe in the authority of God's word. I believe it's true. 
But to an unbeliever, for, for us to go, the Bible says it, that's the equivalent of that neon sign in a church window that says, world's best religion. It, it's, it's kind of like, uh, it's, it's making the claim about itself, and it doesn't appear unbiased. It looks like shameless self-promotion. Now, here's the thing. People will still want to know, are those things that Christianity claims, are they actually true? Now, as believers, we're told we should always be ready to give the reason for our faith, to share our hope. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be, or always be ready to provide a reason for our faith, or always be ready to explain it. And so here's the question. How can you be ready to share the reason for your hope, be ready to explain it, when somebody might be skeptical about Scripture or these claims that that Christianity makes about itself. And so this is why in Acts chapter 26, where we're picking up, you find that the Apostle Paul, he's been in prison in Caesarea for about two years at this point. And he is, um, he's waiting uh, to go to, to trial. Now his arrest, it's not about justice. It's not that he's really committed a crime, but it's kind of preventing some uh, upheaval. It's preventing people who are upset with him from turning into like a public riot. And so Rome's doing it to keep the peace. And so the Roman governor, Festus, he had decided, you know, we're going to take Paul back to Jerusalem for trial. But Paul is going, no, if I go back to Jerusalem, there's people who are, who are going to see to it that I die. And so as a Roman citizen, Paul goes, I'd like to stand before Caesar. And he appeals that to that. And so it's like, okay, you appeal to Caesar, to Caesar you will go. And so he's in Caesarea waiting to be transformed or transferred to Rome where he'll stand before the emperor. Now, during this time, he's in prison, but he receives some formal hearings from some Roman governors and others. And one of the hearings that we, we get to look at is in Acts chapter 26, where he stands before the Roman governor Festus and the Jewish king Agrippa II. And so Here's what we see. This is an opportunity where the Apostle Paul gets to give the reason for his faith in front of two powerful political leaders. And so again, we're in Acts chapter 26, starting in verse 1. It says, Then Agrippa said to Paul, You may speak in your defense. So Paul, gesturing with his hand, stared at his defense. I'm fortunate, King Agrippa, that you are the one hearing my defense today against all these accusations made by the Jewish leaders. For I know that you are an expert on all Jewish customs and controversies. Now please listen to me patiently. As the Jewish leaders are well aware, I was given a thorough Jewish training from my earliest childhood among my own people and in Jerusalem. If they would admit it, they know that I have been a member of the Pharisees, the strictest sect of our religion. Now I am on trial because of my hope in the fulfillment of God's promise made to our ancestors. In fact, that is why the 12 tribes of Israel zealously worship God night and day, and they share the same hope I have. Yet, your majesty, they accuse me for having this hope. Why does it seem incredible to any of you that God can raise the dead? I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus the Nazarene. Indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem, authorized by the leading priests. I caused many believers there to be sent to prison, and I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. Now, Paul, he, he's standing before powerful political leaders, and they're like, kind of like, you can say what you want, Paul. And in this moment, you'd go, okay, Paul's going to preach a powerful sermon. 
but he doesn't do that. Instead, he, he shares his testimony. Or as, as another way of saying it, he shares his story. He's going, here's my experience with the Christian faith. And so Paul starts by sharing about his life before Christ. And so Paul's going, like, my early life is not much of a secret. You guys know I, I was, like, trained in um, the, 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 the Jewish faith since I was a young man. I studied in my hometown. Then I came to Jerusalem where I was studying there. And I've got a pretty good reputation. Like, I, I follow all the dietary laws of our, our faith. I, I do everything right. And so people would look at, at Paul and, and they'd go, man, rising star. This is the poster child of Judaism, and they can find no flaw in his early life. But what they have an issue with is that now Paul is now teaching the resurrected Jesus Christ. Now Paul's going, this situation's kind of ironic, don't you think? Because he's going, I'm teaching about the resurrection, and they're upset with me for teaching about the resurrection, but long before I showed up on the scene, the resurrection was one of the central hopes of the Jewish faith. But Paul goes, you know what? I don't hold it against them. I get it. Because 25 years ago, I was in the same position. Like, I thought it was my job to kind of stamp out Christianity. And he's, he's talking about it here. He's like, I, I tried to, to get rid of the Christians. He talks about active persecution against Christians in Jerusalem. And so if you want to know more about, about Paul, you go to Acts chapter 8 and work your way through the book of Acts, and you kind of see what kind of guy that Paul was. But Paul goes... I, I tried to force Christians to curse Jesus. Wouldn't be good for them to do that. And other times he was like, I tried to get them to um, publicly confess that Jesus is the son of God. Because if they publicly confess that he's the son of God, we can, we can put them on trial for blasphemy. And then I can probably see to it that they're killed. And so here in the presence of the king, Paul basically admits, like, I, I was made it my, my job to wipe out the Christian faith. And Paul goes, I was involved in the persecution at like every step along the way. Now, here's the thing. A strong argument for, for the truthfulness of Scripture and, and the Bible is this, that when it comes to guys like Peter and Paul, it doesn't try and clean up their reputation. Like, it, it just kind of, they don't, they don't try and hide who they were. Like, Paul's going, yeah, I, I was a pretty bad guy. Peter, like, he's constantly making mistakes throughout the Gospels, and, like, the writer, he's not like, hey, Luke, could you clean that up a little bit? I'm looking a little dumb here. Like, you know, it's like, it's honest. It's there. There's a, there's a text later in the New Testament where Paul's like, I called Peter out, and that's, that's in there. And so the Scripture's like, here's who these guys are. And Paul says, I, I basically killed Christians. I imprisoned others, and I tried to get Christians to blaspheme. So it's not beyond reason to believe that that. Paul would have resorted to physical torture in, in getting Christians to curse Jesus or to blaspheme. All right, let's keep going. Acts chapter 26, verse 12. It says, One day I was on such a mission to Damascus, armed with the authority and commission of the leading priests. About noon, your majesty, I, as I was on the road, a light from heaven brighter than the sun shone down on me and my companions. We all fell down, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is useless for you to fight against my will. Um, Paul used to go by Saul, just, just to clear things up. Um, Paul says, who are you, Lord, I asked. And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get to your feet. 
For I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. Tell people that you have seen me and tell them what I will show you in the future. And I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. So Paul's going, my my mission to Damascus never got completed because along the way I was interrupted. And he's saying, he shares about his encounter with Christ. And so Paul shares about how he came to faith. He's going, here were the the supernatural elements, including the, the blinding light, the voice from heaven. He's saying, the resurrected Jesus appeared to me and he sent me on a mission. He told me I'm to be a servant, I'm to be a witness And he's going, here's the mission he gave me, to open people's eyes, to turn them from darkness to light and from Satan to God by sharing the gospel. And so Paul goes from like opposing the kingdom of God and seeking to destroy it to now being like one of the guys who's going to be building it up and strengthening it. Now here, it's the thing, like we have quite a few people um, here. I don't know everybody's backstories here. Maybe we have some like, people into some shady stuff. I don't know. But I'm guessing that murder and religious persecution does not appear on most of our rap sheets. Like, I'm just guessing, like, they go look up your criminal record check. It's like, oh, guilty of murder, guilty of uh, persecuting religious minorities. That, that probably doesn't appear there. And Paul's going, well, I, I was guilty of that murder, religious persecution, unjustly imprisoning people. And then he's like, and God saved me. Now this is, this is good news because some of us, we look at our lives and we look at those troubled teen years. We look at um, an addiction, a secret habit, infidelity, kind of maybe our bloodline and what, what we're coming out of. And we go, oh man, I don't, I don't know about if Jesus can do anything with this. But this text is going, man, that's not enough to stop Jesus from saving you. Like some of us have convinced ourselves that we're, we're so sinful that God could not save us. Some of us, like we, 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 we speak of it with, with a bit of pride, but we're going, man, the things I've done, if I went into a church, God would strike me down. And we think like God could never save me. God would never want to save a guy like me. I'll, I'll say this, like if you're, Thinking that and believing it, that's a lie from the enemy. He's trying to convince you that God could not love you, God could not save you. Because you look at a guy like Paul, that God would save a guy like Paul. That God would work and, 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 and use a guy like Paul. I think you're going to be okay. Like, I, I'm pretty sure God can work with you. And he will use you for his purposes. And we, we say this all the time, that like, God does not save you to then just take you and put you on the sidelines and go, okay, watch me do some cool things. I'm going to bring some MVPs in. Like, they're going to do some cool things. They'll get up on stage and they'll do some awesome stuff. Watch them carry out the mission. You just watch. No, like, God's like, okay, you've been saved. Now get in there. You're a disciple. You're part of this. You're, you're playing a role. And this is what he does with the Apostle Paul. He, he gets them involved. Acts chapter 26, verse 19 and following. It says, and so King Agrippa, this is Paul, I obeyed that vision from heaven. 
I preached first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that all must repent of their sins and turn to God, and prove that they have changed by the good things they do. Some Jews arrested me in the temple for preaching this, and they tried to kill me, but God has protected me right up to this present time, so I can testify to everyone, from the least to the greatest, I teach nothing except what the prophets and Moses said would happen." that the Messiah would suffer and be the first to rise from the dead and in this way announce God's light to Jews and Gentiles alike. And so Paul goes like, I was dedicated to destroying the church. Jesus came in and now with that same dedication, I'm, I'm using it to build up the church. And so Paul shares about his life with Christ. And the heavenly vision of the resurrected Lord, that convinced Paul that the Christian faith was legitimate. And Paul now says he's committed his life to proclaiming the good news. But that's what gets people upset with Paul, that, that, that he's doing this. But Paul is like, if you want to summarize my life with Christ with one word, it's, it's obedience. Like he begins to preach the gospel immediately. People get upset with him because he proclaims a message of hope in Jesus Christ. And the Jewish leaders, not big fans of Jesus at all. But even almost worse for them is that Paul goes to non-Jewish people, Gentiles, and he starts to share that message with them. And they don't like that he's, he's going to people outside of, out of Judaism with this message. And so Paul goes, here's been my experience. I was preaching Jesus. A mob tried to kill me in the temple court. That's when you Romans came in, saved my butt. You kind of took me here, and you were going to put me on trial. But when I was going to trial, there was going to be some guys that were going to try and assassinate me, kill me. They want to see me dead. But you brought me out here to Caesarea, where I am now, and God is protecting me. And they're going to try and kill me. You take me back there. But he's going, to this point, God's been faithful to his promise. Here I am, Agrippa. I'm sharing my story with you that God has been good to his word. Now, Acts chapter 26, verse 27, this is the, the last section of text in Acts 26. It says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Do King Agrippa interrupted him. Do you think you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? Paul replied, whether quickly or not, I pray to God that both you and everyone here in this audience might become the same as I am, except for these chains. Now, Agrippa had a reputation. He was, he was a faithful uh, adherent of the Jewish faith. And here's the thing. The, there might have been something said, like not all the words necessarily got recorded, but Agrippa might have said something that led Paul to believe, yeah, you actually do believe that the, the Jewish scriptures, the prophets are true. And so this leads Paul to invite Agrippa to take a next step. But King Agrippa is in an uncomfortable position. We didn't read it, but in verse 24, the Roman governor Festus, he's, going, he's listening to Paul and going, like, all this learning you've done, I know you're not like, I know you're not an unintelligent man, Paul, but all this learning has made you insane. And, and so for, for, for Agrippa, it's like Festus is just called Paul insane. If I agree with Paul that the prophets are true, then my colleague, my contemporary in the Jewish or in the, the government is going to think I'm insane too. He's going to loot me in with Paul. That's not going to be good. But it's not just that. If Agrippa says yes or no to this question, he's going to make somebody mad. Somebody's going to come after him. And he also knows that um, Paul's question, like his follow-up question to that would probably be like, well, don't you believe what the prophets say? Look, they're pointing to Jesus. And Agrippa cuts him off and says, you know what, it's too short a time to make a decision about becoming a Christian. 
Now, some scholars are going, Agrippa is being sarcastic. He's rejecting Paul's kind of speech with disdain, going like, you think I would ever become a Christian? But some others say it's actually possible that that Agrippa was sincere and serious, that maybe he did need more time. Now, we don't know whether it's with respect or disdain that he says this to Paul. And, And maybe Agrippa was actually afraid that if I listen much more to what Paul is saying, he might actually convince me to become a Christian. And if I become a Christian, man, that's going to have implications on my personal life, but it's also going to have implications on my career, and I'm, I'm aspiring to kind of to, to, to do more. Jesus isn't going to be good for my career, so I'm like, just stop, Paul. And here's the thing. We meet people like that. We know people like that where it's like, they're close to believing in Jesus and accepting him as Lord and Savior, but they kind of recognize that if I do that, that's going to have some big implications on my life. And that's why they're like, I'm just going to stop here. I'll be a fan of Jesus. That's it. Now, we don't fully know the effect Paul's testimony had on those listening. Now, here's the thing. God's probably not going to call most of us to stand before powerful political leaders but he is calling you to influence and, and stand in front of and, and have and serve those with whom you associate every day. Maybe it's your family, your coworker, your neighbor, friends. And when called to give a reason for his hope as a believer, Paul, he doesn't preach that sermon. He goes, here's, here's my story. Here's, here's my experience of the Christian faith. And the good news is that every one of us can do that. When you have an opportunity or when you're called to kind of give a reason for the hope of your faith, most of us probably can't preach a sermon. But every one of us can share our story. Every one of us can share our testimony. We can go, here is my review of the Christian faith. Here is my experience with it. And in a time where people look at God's word with suspicion and they don't hold it as truth, your testimony is one of the most powerful or effective ways that you can share your faith with somebody. And people, they, they might disagree with your Christian beliefs, but unless they believe that you're an outright liar, they can't disagree with, with what you say that God has been doing in your life. They can't disagree with the changes that they might see. Like there was a, a well-known pastor years and years ago, and his name was Brownlow North. And before Brownlow had become a Christian, he didn't live a very um, life. Uh, he didn't live a life that would be very pleasing to God. Like he did some. He he had he had some history. Let's put it that way. Um, and this one time, Brownlow was getting ready to go preach at a church, and he received a, an anonymous letter. And this letter, what it said was like, this person um, had evidence of, of something that Brownlow had done before he became a Christian. And it went on to say that if Brownlow got up and preached in the church, that this person was going to interrupt the church service and, and tell everybody, here's the scandalous thing that Brownlow North did. You, he's, he's not who you think he is. So Brownlow, he, he took the letter into the pulpit and he read it. And then he told everybody there, here's the scandalous thing that the person is talking about. He he told them what they had done. And then he told the congregation how Christ had changed his life. And he made that invitation and he can change your life as well. He took something that was evidence for his shame and he used it to glorify Christ. And your life is evidence of the power of God. You should never be afraid to point to yourself as a living example of the power of Christ. So you might get an opportunity to share your testimony with with your life group 
or over coffee with somebody. You might share it with a coworker, or it's, it's summer, so all the family reunions are going to start coming up, and so you get to share your testimony with weird Uncle George or something like that. But Paul's testimony in Acts chapter 26, this, this is a template for how we can prepare our own testimony. And so the first thing would be this, is my life before Christ. When, when preparing your testimony, you ask this question, who was I, what kind of person was I before I met Jesus Christ? Who was I socially? Who was I spiritually? Who was I emotionally? Now, you don't have to give a lot of detail in this, this section. Maybe there's kind of like, here's a, here's a significant event in my past life that kind of shows who you were. Maybe you kind of say something as simple like, I was doing things on the weekend that I shouldn't have been doing. Maybe say, I was, I was struggling with lust. Maybe go, I was struggling with anger. I was struggling with addiction. I was struggling with... You don't have to like paint such a vivid picture that they can picture you in your sin. That's not the point of your testimony. Now, the next part is this, how I encountered Christ and accepted him. Now, not every one of us, like not every Christian has this Damascus Road experience where there's like a bright light from heaven and then there's a voice that's like, here's what you must do with your life. And you're like, oh, okay, I'll do that. Like my testimony does not have that. Never experienced those things. But every believer should be able to say, here's when I got saved. Here's how I got saved. And share what brought you to faith in Jesus. Maybe you, you say, here's, here's what convinced me that the, the Christian faith, that, that what Jesus does for us is true. Maybe you talk about, here's a person that God brought along um, in, in, in my life, and they made an impact. Now, here's the thing. I, I've been places where it's like, we're going to have a testimony now. And so they, they bring out some like rough-looking dude, and he's covered in tattoos and all this stuff. And he, he gets up there and he goes like, yeah, I uh, used to smoke a pack a day, addicted to drugs. I was drinking every morning at 7 a.m. I uh, was with a different woman every night. I was in a gang. I was wanted for murder in a few different provinces. But then my friend invited me to vacation Bible school. And on my ninth birthday, I accepted him. And my life has never been the same. Praise God. Like, so like, I know that's like, uh, that's not like one we would necessarily hear, but there are testimonies. I'm like, man, that, that's insane. You hear these types of testimonies. You're like, no wonder you love God. Like, did you hear what you just said? Like, look how lost in sin you were. Look how messed up your life was. And it's like, God just like reached in there, grabbed you out, pulled you in. He's like, you're like a modern day apostle. Paul, listen to that story. And sometimes, here's the thing, we hear those stories and we go, my story, not, not exciting enough to share. Like, did you hear that one? Like, like my, my testimony is not a very exciting testimony. It's like, here, it's like, I was born in a Christian family. Every Sunday since, basically, I've been in church. I had to prove I was like on my deathbed not to go to church. I was in Sunday school. I was at camps. I was at vacation Bible school. I was at all these things. Uh, when I was 13, though, I finally understood who Jesus was, what he had done for me. I accepted him as my Lord and Savior, and I was baptized. And since that time, it's just kind of been this slow progression of, of learning to walk in relationship with him, to know him more. Like, I don't have any major stories of rebellion, really, to, to, to share. Like, I was joking in the first service, like, if I want to spice up my testimony, I'm like, guys, one time I skipped school. 
One time I went to a party and they were smoking some illegal drugs at the time. I didn't smoke it, but I walked through the crowd and uh, felt a little funny afterwards. Like, I, I just don't have an exciting testimony. Now, I remember hear, hearing somebody say this, and it, it stuck with me. Praise God for a boring testimony. Praise God for a boring testimony. And a boring testimony like mine is a witness to the stability and love that Christ can bring into a family. And again, we might want something like, here, here's the big punch in my, my story. But, but here's the thing. Some people hear that. And that's what they desperately want, is that stability and that love. And, and that, that, that boring testimony can, can be just as powerful as that crazy one. We need to, to avoid the temptation to over-dramatize our testimony, but, but at the same time, don't leave out those supernatural bits for, for fear of sounding weird. So whatever your, your encounter with Christ looks like, share that. God has chosen to work in your life for a particular way, for a particular reason. And so remember, you're testifying to his work, that should be celebrated, and that he should be the main character in your testimony. The final, the third part is my life with Christ now. How has God changed you? What is the evidence of your transformation? How are you living differently? How has relationship with Jesus caused you to live a life that is freer, fuller, more joyful? And this is the point, part of the testimony that I would kind of really emphasize and spend time on because you're going, here is how Christ has changed my life. Here's what Christ has done. And I would also say, when you're giving your testimony, watch the language you use um, because you want this to be understandable. Like, you don't have to get super churchy on them. You don't have to be like, Jesus is my penal substitutionary atonement. Like, you don't have to be like, I was, I was, I was a wretch and then I was justified, and then I was sanctified, and one day I'm going to be fully glorified. Praise God. Like, you, you, don't, you don't have to get weird. Just use everyday language that they'll understand. If you use those words, explain what they mean. Like, just be clear on what it means. Now, avoid those extremes as well. Try not to be like, I'm the perfect saint now. Like, you need to make sure this, like, you're being truthful. Don't, don't say, like, I, I don't sin anymore. Like, here's my experience with it. Now, your testimony, again, a powerful tool for sharing your faith. And people today will be open to authentic stories, personal stories of faith. And so your testimony, kind of as initiating way, is probably going to go further than talking about kind of um, objective, theoretical Christian truths that are like up here. You got to connect with them probably here. Those things will come along later on. But watch how the person is re reacting to your testimony. Pay attention to where the Spirit or how the Spirit is leading you in this moment. And maybe it's going to be as simple as like, do you have any questions? Do you, do you want to know what the gospel is? Do you, would you like to come with me to a, a church service sometime? Like just maybe help them take the next step. And the point of your testimony is not, look how terrible I was. The point of your testimony is, look how good Jesus is. Look how faithful he is to his promise and to lead them into that. So, Again, often we're, we're afraid to share our testimony because we go, what if it doesn't work? And what I mean is this, we're going, the person might not accept Jesus if I, if I share my testimony. And so we, we hold back. But, but Acts chapter 26, that's a great text because it doesn't end with Paul batting a thousand. Like it doesn't end with this. Paul shared his testimony. 
And they said, what must we do to be saved? And Paul shared the gospel. And then uh, Festus and Agrippa accepted Christ and were baptized. And their families were all baptized. And the servants and the soldiers, they accepted Christ. And then the dog believed too. And he jumped in the baptistry and everybody lived happily ever after. Like nobody accepts Christ at the end of this. And so here's, here's what I'm saying. You don't know the effect of sharing your story will have on, you don't know the effect sharing your story is going to have on others. But as you do this, you're scattering seeds. And scripture never tells us that every person you share the gospel with is going to accept Christ. And so I, I want to say this, because sometimes we take and make expectations and we place them on ourselves that God is not placing on us. So don't do that. Your responsibility is share your story, share what Christ has done, and tell them he can do the same thing for them as well and leave it up to them to decide. And so we want to provide you with a resource that you can use to help develop your own testimony if you've never done this. Some of you uh, have done this years ago when you did real-life discipleship training. But this is just a simple outline. You can grab it at the Welcome Center if you'd like to work on this. And I'd encourage you to do it um, and work to kind of get it down to like if you only had a minute to share your testimony with people because people don't need the Peter uh, Jackson director's cut that's like three hours long. They just need something nice and simple. But practice your testimony. Maybe say it in front of somebody you trust. Ask for feedback. And having it prepared and practiced, that's going to be, help you to be ready to share your hope when somebody asks for that. And there may be a time where you, you plan to share your t- testimony. Maybe it's in a life group. But often it's going to be in these situations that are un- you just, they happen. Maybe somebody goes, why do you live the way you do? Why do you believe these things about Jesus? Maybe they're curious about Christ. Maybe um, they simply need some encouragement, some hope, some inspiration. And having your testimony ready is a way to explain the hope you have as a believer. And the story of a changed person, that's a powerful thing. That you're, you're living proof of the power of God. Your life is, is, is evidence that the gospel is true. And it's difficult to dispute the evidence of a transformed life. So God will speak to people through your testimony. And every testimony, every time we share it, this is a time where we're revealing the activity of God here on earth to the world. And as people hear what God has done for you, it will give them hope that he can do the same thing for them.